Good morning. I'm Jeremy. You haven't seen me in a while. Pastor Pat uh, filled the pulpit there as he took us through a series through the book of 1 Corinthians and uh, uh, great stuff on what does it mean to be a community? What does it mean to be a family? What does it mean to do this thing together called Christianity? And uh, Pat, I want to thank you for for uh, serving our congregation in the way that you do in so many ways, but specifically uh, for what you did over the last five weeks. So thank you. And it was a great time for me. I got to teach a class, our Faith Leadership Academy. I got to teach a class on coming alive spiritually and the elements that God has put in place for us in order to help us to really blossom in uh, what He desires for our lives. And uh, but I got to tell you, this, this past week and leading up to it, I was like, it was kind of like a racehorse in the gates, you know, just kind of like, okay, all right, I'm ready. You know, I want to get back there. I want to I wanna preach. I love preparing and I love preaching. And I'm grateful that you guys are kind enough to give me an ear for a bit of your time on a Sunday morning. And I love opening up God's Word and seeing what He has to say to us, allowing ourselves to be challenged by His truth. And I hope that that happens this morning as we start this new series called Blessed to be a Blessing. You know, as that video highlighted, um, people have sacrificed so that we could enjoy the things that we enjoy in the United States. Memorial Day weekend, uh, I was uh, working in my yard yesterday and uh, I was just reflecting on how blessed I am, how blessed we are. Um, it, It, of course, comes off of thinking about this series that we're doing, and, and I, just, I just, I did a little research. I was like, well, how blessed are we in America? And uh, I, I looked to the uh, income of people in Manitowoc County. Our median income here in Manitowoc County is about $48,000 per household. So that's, that's kind of the middle, and uh, it's a little less than the national average. The national average uh, median income of a household is $55,000. So we're just a little bit, about $7,000 under the median income uh, in the United States. But um, compared to the world, I mean, we are like rich. You know what the median income uh, of the world is? Well, let let me put it this way. $48,000 is 238% of the median income of the world. In other words, more than, we more than double the median income of the average household in our world. We live in the wealthiest nation by far in the world. We, we are a wealthy people. Even if we don't feel like we have a lot, compared to the world, we have, we have a lot. And in this series, Blessed to be a Blessing, I thought, let's just take a few weeks. We're just going to do this for three weeks. We're going to talk about how God has blessed us and how He wants to use us to bless others. How He wants to use us and the blessings that we have to touch other people's lives. That He might use us as instruments in His hands to really reach out to others with His goodness. And so this morning we're going to begin by turning to the master teacher. This morning we're going to begin by looking at what Jesus has to say about what does it mean to be blessed by God and what should we do about it. Well, 
I don't know what the reputation of Jesus is in each and every one of your minds. Uh, no doubt in an audience like this, uh, some of us are like, you know, his reputation is the top. I mean, he's like, he's like top for me. And maybe some others would be like, oh, I don't know. I mean, I guess I could kind of take him or leave him. But for the most part, probably in this room, we would say his reputation for us is that we really think highly of him, that we really, you know, want to honor him with our lives. And when Jesus was on the earth, he started out somewhat obscure. I mean, he was living in this tiny little town, uh, being a craftsman. I mean, he was a carpenter's son, you know, and, and outside of his relatives and close friends, I mean, he was pretty much a nobody in a crowd, you know? Nobody really knew him. That, that was until his cousin, who was making a bit of a ruckus around Jerusalem in the area surrounding that area, uh, began to baptize people in the Jordan River, and, and, and Jesus went to him, and his cousin John, John John the Baptist, he then baptized Jesus, and boy, I mean, things changed for Jesus. This was when I mean, he, he started getting known, Jesus did. I mean, he, he started healing people. Uh, he started speaking with authority. And i got to tell you, he started gaining quite a reputation in the world. Now, for some, his reputation, well, <laughs> it wasn't very good, actually. For, for the religious leaders, they, they were a bit hostile against Jesus. <coughs> Excuse me. Let me see. Uh... I'm going to ask, who should I ask? Bob, Cretchy, would you mind stepping out and get me a bottle of water? I can just tell by the end here, I'm going to be chugging that bad boy. In the, in the coffee ground, common grounds area, they have little bottles of water. Thank you. All right. Um, <clears throat> where was I? Jesus' reputation. The religious leaders, they, they, were, um, they, they were hostile toward him. I mean, you know, he was coming in and he was uh, talking how... They were doing things wrong, how they, <coughs> you can see why I asked them. I stopped and said, Bob, get me a drink, but I'm pressing on. Um, <coughs> how, they, how they were, uh, you know, he was talking about how they were acting all, you know, spiritual, but they really weren't. And they weren't really happy with how he was upsetting the social order. But for the vast majority of the people, I mean, they were really loving Jesus. They were really like thinking he was something else, you know. As a matter of fact, instead of me telling you about his reputation, let me just read it to you. If you have a Bible handy, you can go to Luke chapter 11, beginning at verse 53. It says this, When he left there, the scribes and the Pharisees, those are the religious leaders, began to be very hostile. And he questioned him closely on many subjects, plotting against him to catch him in something he might say. So here they are. They're not happy with Jesus. They're his population, uh, popularity is, has really grown, and, and they're not liking it. But now look how much the crowd totally loves Jesus in the very next verse, chapter 12 and verse 1. Under these circumstances, <coughs> after so many thousands of people had gathered together, that they were stepping on one another. I mean, they were thronging to Jesus. They were totally clamoring toward Him. They were loving Jesus. So Jesus began saying to His disciples, first of all, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Whoa. First thing out of his mouth. Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is, is where you want to give the impression that you're one thing when in reality you're something else. 
Um, <clears throat> you'll notice that we have two beautiful trees up here. Now, one of them's a hypocrite, and the other one's a real deal. <coughs> this one in the back, it sure looks like a tree, doesn't it? It looks lovely. It's leaving out quite nicely. Um, this one in the front also looks like a tree. A little bit different shape, a little bit different structure, but boy, they, they both look like trees, don't they? Well, like I said, this one in the back, this, this one right here, this, this, is, a, this is a hypocrite. <laughs> it might look like a tree on the outside, but it's not. It's fake. I mean, this one, this, this is the real deal. This has got life pumping through it. This one might look like it has life pumping through it, but it doesn't. Well, <laughs> those religious leaders... They were incapable of leading people toward what God wants for their lives, even though on the outside, they looked like they could handle it. They looked like they were the ones to turn to. They gave the very impression that they were super spiritual, but reality was they were fake. Yeah, <clears throat> Jesus began to describe how to do away with hypocrisy. To this huge crowd that had gathered, he, he wanted to tell them how you can avoid hypocrisy. And then, like, right in the middle, as he's preaching, as the crowds that are stepping on top of each other, thousands upon thousands of them gathering around him, this one guy interrupts the whole teaching. Jump down to verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Now, I just find that to be shocking. I find that to be rude. I mean, all of these people came to listen to Jesus, and this guy has the audacity. This guy has the, the so self-centeredness about, has, is so self-centered that he just blurts out, hey, tell my brother to divide his inheritance with me. And Jesus puts him in his place. I mean, all these people are listening, right? Jesus puts him right back in his place. He said to him, man, who appointed me? a judge or arbitrator over you. Like, listen, this is not the time for this right now. And then he turns back to the crowd and he says to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And he told them a parable. Saying, now, let me just stop there. A parable is a story that Jesus would tell that had a very good point to it. And, and um, normally, when Jesus would tell a parable to the crowds, he wouldn't explain it. He, he'd kind of end the, the story by saying something like, well, he who has an ear, let him hear. And the crowd would be sitting there going, what, what, what is that all about? What kind of a, what is his point? It, a parable speaks of a truth, but it, a lot depends on the one listening to be able to absorb that truth and figure it out. What, what exactly was Jesus teaching here? And yet every so often he'd tell a parable and he'd make the point. He'd say, this is the point of what I'm trying to teach you all. And in this rare scenario here, he actually does make the point after telling this story. So, uh, verse 16 again, he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? And he said, this is what I will do. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I'll store all my grains and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, 
This very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? And then he makes the point. This is where he makes the point of the parable. Verse 21. So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Let that last verse simmer a little bit. As we unpack this text, we'll get a good understanding of what it means to be rich toward God. Well, being rich toward God, I I would imagine that those of us in this room, most of us would say, I want to be rich toward God. I, I would imagine that the crowd that was listening to Jesus were thinking, I, I want to be rich toward God. But what the Pharisees displayed, and what that man who cut in and blurted out that statement to Jesus, I think, highlight, is that uh, there's something going on here that the outside might look like, I want to be rich toward God. But on the inside, it's just not there. Yeah, that man was so focused on what he wanted. He was so focused on what he deserved. He was so focused on what he needed to be content and happy that he needed, to, he needed that inheritance for this. That he didn't even care about the thousands upon thousands of people that were around him. He wanted Jesus to solve his problem. Yeah, and in that man, I think, we see what the enemy of being rich toward God is. The enemy of being rich toward God is greed. Greed. Now, most of us would say, yeah, I know that's a sin, but it's something that I don't really deal with myself. You know, uh, I, I know that sin is... When we think about greed, we think about, you know, excessive wanting more and more and that we will step on people, we will treat people poorly to get it. That's, that's what our picture, I think, of greed is all about. I don't know if you realize this, but Jesus talked more about the sin of greed than He did about the sin of lying, or the sin of pride, or even the sin of lust and sex. Matter of fact, I've got a chart here I want to show you. This chart uh, basically breaks down the sins that Jesus talked about and, and kind of how much he talked about them. Now this purple triangle here is the sin of greed. And this red one over here is the sin of hypocrisy. And I really believe that greed is a subset of hypocrisy. But, but Jesus talked more about greed than he did about dishonesty and pride and lust and sex and murder and false teaching and everything else. I mean, he, he talked a lot about greed. And yet... I think almost no one thinks that they're guilty of it. We're not guilty of greed. That's something that somebody else is guilty of. But listen again to Jesus' warning in verse 15. He then said to them, Beware, be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Now let me just say this. He gives two warnings against greed. Do you see that? First he says, beware. And then he adds to that, be on your guard. Be careful because this thing can sneak up on you. And, it, and be on your guard against every form of greed. Yeah, greed is subtle. Greed is sneaky. 
it hides. It's kind of like a parasite below the skin that if gone undetected, it will literally suck the life out of us. It will literally suck the life out of us. If it goes unchecked, we will turn into like that fake tree there. Like on the outside, we might look all fine, but on the inside, there'll be nothing there. That is nothing that is rich toward God. So how can we know if we're greedy? How can we be sure that we don't become sick with greed? How can we avoid this sin? Well, I think that's why Jesus told this parable. <laughs> he told the parable so that we could see what greed really is, and then to be sure that we don't fall to that temptation. So let me, let me read the parable again to you. Go back to verse 16. He told them this parable saying, the land of a rich man was very productive, and he began reasoning to himself saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grains and my goods. By the way, what he's doing here is not sinful. This, this is not wrong. He's being resourceful. He's a good businessman. He, he's saving up. Nothing wrong with that. I think where we find a hint of what's wrong in this picture is the personal pronoun that this guy uses. In just those two verses, verses 17 and 18, we see the personal pronoun. He uses I five times, and he uses my Four times. Nine times in there he's referring specifically uh, to himself. And uh, <clears throat> being rich, having a big home, uh, having a lot is never condemned in the Bible. As a matter of fact, it's honored. I mean, go to Psalm 128.2, go to Ecclesiastes 5.18-20. Nothing wrong with having a lot. Matter of fact, there are famous people in the Bible that never get scolded for being rich. Abraham was rich. David was rich. Matthew, one of the apostles, was rich. I believe the apostle Paul. I know he came from wealth, and I'm sure he had wealth himself. But this self-centeredness, I worked hard. This is my wealth that I gained, and I will use it for me, for me, for me. Look at verse 19. <coughs> and I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Come, take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. What does that sound like to you? Sounds like the guy's saving up for his retirement, doesn't it? I mean, what's wrong with that? I'd say, whoa, 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 wait a minute, Jeremy. What are, are you trying to tell me I shouldn't retire or I shouldn't save up for retirement? I mean, what, what, what are you trying to tell us here? Well, I'm, I'm personally, I'm not trying to tell you anything. I, I'm just telling you the story that Jesus is telling. So, if you struggle with that verse, well, it's Jesus' words, not mine. Yeah, I heard a lot of people say, or I, I didn't hear a lot of people, I heard someone say once, um, retirement is a lost man's paradise. Yeah, that, you know, uh, <clears throat> what does a lost man have to look forward to? retirement someday, and I can't wait for my retirement. They're not really focused in on things that matter for eternity. But I think that's Jesus' point in the next verse. Look at verse 20. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? By the way, you fool, only time God ever calls anybody a fool in the Bible. You fool. 
Yeah. Your mind is not set on eternal things. You're not focused on what matters to God. Hmm. You know, uh, the American view of retirement, in my mind, and maybe in yours too, is, boy, I can't wait. You know, I can't wait till I could just not have any pressure. I can't wait till I... I think I'm just, you know, someone might say, I, I think I'm going to buy an RV and I'm just going to travel around the United States. Or, uh, you know, I'm going to take up golf and I'm going to really get good at golf or some sort of hobby. I just can't wait till I can just chill out in my retirement. That's what a greedy person looks forward to. Yeah, look at verse 19 again at the end. Take my ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. Doesn't sound like that's rich toward God. But it shows the subtle nature of greed. And we don't have to wait for our retirement to you know, reveal greed in our lives. So I've kind of wrestled through, well, what is the biblical definition of greed then? I mean, what is greed? Well, taking a stab at it here, see if you agree with me. Here's the definition. Greed is a focus on ourselves with whatever we have materially or financially. Greed is a focus on ourselves with whatever we have materially or financially. Now, we can be greedy with our time. We can be greedy with our energy. However, in this parable, Jesus is teaching about the material blessings that we have. When we see whatever we have is mine, you know, it's what I've gained out of my hard work, it's for me, so that I can use it for me, for my stuff, for it's mine, you know, it's mine. That is greed. Verse 21. So is the man who stores up treasure, get this, for himself and is not rich toward God. So let's talk about what does it mean to be rich toward God. Jesus did not say, by the way, that we should not store up treasures. It's just wrong when we're not doing it with the intent to be rich toward God. So how do we get rich? Or how, how are we rich toward Him? What does that mean? Well, to unpack that, I want to take you to two other times when Jesus was teaching to crowds. One time was before this time in Luke 12, and another time was after this time with the crowd in Luke 12. The one time I want to take you to before the time in Luke 12 is when Jesus had this famous sermon. It's normally known as the Sermon on the Mount. It was up in Galilee. He had thousands of people around him again. And he's just teaching on all different subjects. And he's getting kind of toward the end of this wonderful sermon. And he says these interesting words. Listen uh, over in Matthew chapter 7, beginning at verse 21. Matthew chapter 7, beginning at verse 21. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons? And in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. 
Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Whoa. I mean, you want to talk about being rich toward God? These guys were prophesying. These guys were casting out demons. These guys were doing miracles. I mean, they were, they seem to be rich toward God, don't they? But Jesus says to them, I never knew you. I never, away from me. Another time was toward the end of Jesus' public ministry. He was, uh, he was teaching about the return when He would come back as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And He'd take the nations before Him and, and the individuals and He'd separate them. And He'd put the sheep on one side and the goats. Remember the, the judgment of the sheep and the goats? Some of you might recall that. Or He puts the sheep on His right, in, indicating when, when a judge would put someone on their right, they'd say, you're, you're not guilty, you're You're innocent put the goats on his left, which would show that they are guilty, but then he kind of broke it down for them. And, and when he was talking to the sheep, he says something interesting there. Uh, go over with me to Matthew chapter 25, beginning at verse 34. Matthew 25 and verse 34, then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And the righteous will answer him, Lord, uh, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or, or thirsty and, and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. You know what I find peculiar about this? They didn't realize they were doing it. Wait, wait what, what, when, when were we showing you this kind of love? You know, When were we showing you how... When were we being... I don't, we don't remember this. This isn't ringing a bell with us. I wonder why. Well, I think those who are rich toward God are rich toward Him without even trying to do it. I mean, they show that they, 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 they're not trying to impress Him. They're not trying to be loyal, you know, to show how loyal they are. They're not trying to, to uh, you know, do some great works for God, you know, prophesying and miracles and, and uh, casting out demons and all that kind of stuff. Now, those who are rich toward God, from the depths of their soul, from the depths of the core of their being, they are loving Him above everything. Those who are rich toward God are loving Him above everything. Now, this is a tricky one for us. Because I'd imagine that We'd say, yep, well, yeah, that's, that's me. I, I, love, I love them above everything, for sure. Yeah. Um, or at least I want to love them above everything. I mean, that's my intention in my life, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of what I'm after. Many of us would say that we feel close to God, you know? We feel close to Him, and, and He's close to us. And our love for Him, we, we, it's real. But is it rich? Toward him. One of my favorite preachers of all time is Haddon Robinson. Uh, 
incredible communicator. He's getting up there in age nowadays. Uh, but I was listening to him on YouTube, and I, he was actually uh, giving a sermon on the sheep and the goats judgment. I was kind of curious what he had to say about it, and he had a great uh, point that he made. He, he, he envisioned himself standing before uh, Jesus, and Jesus talking to him about his life, and, and Jesus saying to him, now uh, let's, let's take you back to March 1996. Remember what happened back in March 1996, and hadn't thought, well, let's see, March of 1990, 1996, yeah, that, that was, yeah, that was March. Yeah, that's when I was on the cover of Newsweek magazine. I remember that, yeah. I was rated one of the top 10 religious communicators in the world. I remember that, Jesus. Yeah, okay, yep. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, that's what, and Jesus said to him, eh, I don't really read Newsweek magazine. <sighs> That's not really uh, what I remember from that time. Uh, actually, it was when you were teaching your homiletics class. Remember that young lady in the back of the class? Uh, class was dismissed, and, and you were kind of walking out. She was just kind of slow to get her stuff together. And, and you asked her how she was doing, and, and she said, well, I'm, I'm fine. And then, and then you pressed into it a little bit. You said, no, no, how are you really doing? And Remember that when... When you asked her that, and then she just started to weep. Hadn't thought, oh, that, was a, that was a long time ago. Uh, maybe, I, maybe, I, maybe I remember that. Jesus said, I remember it. I remember how you spent some time with her right then and there. You had, you had a busy schedule, but, but you stopped and you listened to her. And then you made arrangements for a wise woman in the seminary to come alongside her and help her out. I, I remember that. Hadn't. <laughs> I, I don't really remember doing that, but, but to thank you for it. That which you've done to the least of these, you've done unto me. When we do these things, out of a love for Jesus. Not to impress Him. Not to get accolades. Not for ourselves to make us feel good. But being rich toward God. Is that we have such a love pumping into us that it's not just this fake outward look, but there is this real life of this loving relationship that we have with Jesus, this real life that just seems to keep coming up through us, where all of a sudden we just are like bearing fruit for Him without even trying to do it. It's just part of who we are. Yeah. That's what being rich toward God is all about. And there is a way for us to move our hearts toward God. There's a way to move our hearts toward loving Him above everything else. The way to be rich toward Him, the path, is by organizing our resources to invest in what matters to Him. That we actually organize our resources to invest in that which matters to Him. Now, that we organize our resources so that we make sure that we're doing all we can to invite people into a relationship with Jesus. And then together to do what we need to do in order to grow to become devoted followers after Him. People who are truly loving Him above everything else. 
You know, my parents, they've always done this my whole life. Growing up, they taught me, you know what, the first 10% of your income you give to the Lord. The first fruits you give to the Lord and then you let the chips fall where they may. No questions asked. But they didn't stop there. They went beyond that. Matter of fact, even now in their retirement, they have this thing called God money. And they just have it set aside so that whenever they see something that seems to be promoting people to grow in their relationship with Jesus, no questions asked, we'll support it. So as a son who has some of their grandchildren, when my kids would go on a missions trip or we'd send them to Christian camp, without hesitation, I could just ask my parents, hey, you want to support my kids, your grandkids on this? And they don't hesitate. Sure, absolutely. Boom. How much do you need? Boom. They just, they're just quick to say, however I can invest in what matters to Jesus, that's what matters. A little while later when Jesus was teaching in, in uh, Luke 12, look down in verse 34 what He says. He says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Put our treasures toward what matters to the Lord and our hearts will follow. We'll become rich toward Him. You know, like that crowd around Jesus, there are thousands upon thousands of people all around us who need to hear the teachings of Jesus, who need to hear the truth of Jesus, who need to understand how Jesus wants to make an impact in their lives. That's what matters to Jesus. But a little warning for us. Are we ever like that man who so rudely interrupted and got in the way of people hearing Jesus? Because he's so focused that Jesus is really here to make me feel content, to make me feel happy, to get involved in my life so that I can get what I think I need. Or are we like the Pharisees who look so spiritual on the outside? But there's really no life-giving connection with Jesus on the inside. Greed is real. And it's subtle. It can take a hold of our lives in such benign ways. You know? I mean, I'm just wanting to take my ease. I'm just wanting to eat, drink, and be happy. I mean, what's wrong with that? I mean, I'm not hurting anybody. You know? Jesus would say to us if we have that mentality, you fool, strong words. Live for what matters for eternity. To avoid greed, no matter where we're at, when it comes to uh, you know, where we're at financially, uh, whether if we're above or below the median income in Manitowoc County, it doesn't matter. Greed is not just for the rich. Greed is... It, we're susceptible to it, every single one of us. We cannot avoid the temptation of greed. But the way to avoid the temptation of greed, the way to avoid the sin of greed, I should say, is to make sure that you and I are rich toward God.